Hey there, Film Buds. Welcome back to the Film Buds podcast. I'm your host, Paul. And I'm Lauren. And we are joined today in our third uh, Women in Film episode by longtime friend of the show, Madeline Davis. My yes. sister. Hello, hey. Madeline. Hello. <laughs> <laughs> How are you? I see you're wearing green for St. Patrick's Day. I mean, we're pretty fucking Irish, so... No, yeah. you make you make valid points. I did not. Well, obviously that means Lauren just gets to pinch the shit out of you now. I mean, those are the rules. Uh-huh. I, I am wearing green, but that's also because I had to go to work today and I was like, if anybody pinches me at work, I'm going to lay hands on them. <laughs> so... <laughs> yeah. Um, so as I mentioned, this is our third women in, uh, women in film episode all month long. We've been doing, uh, sort of a women's history month thing dedicated to film. And our first episode was, uh, women in film from last year, 2021. We did the power of the dog and Titan. Um, and then in our second episode, we did women in anime. Yes. Uh, where we were joined by Austin and Tori from the Third Impact Anime Podcast. And today, Mad's coming in to talk with us about uh, women in film from the first half of the 20th century, so everything before 1950. And I thought that this would be an interesting sort of dive. It was actually kind of hard to find movies that fit this bill. Yeah. Shocking. <laughs> <laughs> Um, and actually the, so like I, I went and I was looking through some, some movies and, you know, I found some that were directed by women, but there were a lot of ones where it was like a one-off, you know, and then she didn't direct anything else. Um, or you could find women that like had jobs like in writing or editing or some sort of other thing. It was very hard to find a consistent director. Um, and actually, interestingly enough, in that search, I found that the first film, one of the first films directed by a woman is also potentially the first like narrative feature film ever made, but it's also now a lost film. Oh, shit. Yeah. Classic. Um, so it was, it was an interesting little dive. Um, but eventually I found two films, one from 1916, one from 1940. And I knew that I wanted to have for as many episodes as I could have guests on, particularly women uh, or women identifying guests onto the show to um, discuss women's role in film. And Madeline on top of that also was nice enough to uh, write our initial sort of statement on on women in film uh and you can go and read that i've got it posted it's called uh the women on screen the woman in the mirror and uh before we get too much deeper into it i did just want to ask i guess i i also haven't asked you um you know sometimes i think people don't always get the whole concept of representation on screen or even behind the camera and so if it's too loaded of a question or you're not sure if you have an answer immediately that's totally fine um but i did just sort of want to ask you know what is what does it mean to have a film 
I guess I won't talk about in front of the camera, but what does it mean to have a film directed by a woman for, for y'all? No, yeah, I'm, I'm serving that back to you. <laughs> Damn. Um, and I apologize if this is like too loaded of a question or, or anything yeah, like that. Yeah, how dare you? <laughs> Gosh, put us on the spot. Um, I don't know, I guess like my answer isn't necessarily behind the, the camera. Um, I think that it is very interesting to have like a woman's perspective, but also like that doesn't necessarily mean that like she's written the piece that she's directing. I am totally here for like equal opportunity for for all people. Um, but like, it's definitely a, a seat that like, you know, could be hit or miss depending on what the what the piece is that we're talking about. You know, just because she directed it doesn't mean that she necessarily like identifies with the message behind it. Um, but as an actor, I've I've always been more drawn to characters, obviously that 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 look like myself, that that feel like who I am as a person. Um, because you know, not only being a woman, I am a woman of color, and that is, you know, an even shorter list of of positive representation out there. Um, and so it's, it was always like a hard thing to like, especially growing up, you know, trying to find like shows that had characters that like I could find a bit of myself in. It was always like the, the either like the darker drawn character because of like their features or because of the fact that like there was the one character of color that I was like, well, this has to therefore be me it didn't matter what their their racial identity was at that point long as they long as it, at the end of the day long as they weren't white i was going to be more drawn to them as as a woman of color um and like obviously things are broadening more than than they had been but like characters that i always like really enjoyed watching was like you know uh buttercup from the powerpuff girls because you know she had dark hair and I have dark hair, and even though she is white, that was something that I could be like, ah, if I got to be this character, if I got to dress up as this character, people would be more forgiving of the fact that she wasn't black because of X, Y, or Z, you know? Um, but I mean, there are even less female black directors out there. So like the, the list of having somebody in the director's seat, I think is, is less known as, as it, when it comes to the the female perspective um at least in in pop culture in a in a broad sense and so like i would i would love for there to be more representation just in general out there more variety not only for myself but also for others who who aren't going you know who aren't the the norm let's say of the industry um because it is it is hard and I understand, you know, people being like, oh, I don't get it if you are in the majority of representation. Like, I don't understand why this is important, but it is, it can be very self-deprecating to not see yourself represented in a positive light on, on film or behind the camera, really in any industry, because then you don't think that you can ever achieve that goal, whatever it is, because nobody else has if that makes sense. No, absolutely. Um, so 
so yeah, I think that I think that it is very important to have more, not only just like women, but just like more options just in general out there for for not only like myself, but for for future generations, for current generations, you know, so that way it's 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 an extension of of self-worth. You know, if I can see somebody out there who is who is achieving the things that I want to achieve in my life, who looks like me or sounds like me or, you know, is in any way, shape, form different, then then there is also a chance for myself to to fit into to this weird puzzle that is that is life. Yeah. Okay. Um I wanna touch on something, but first I wanna see or, or hear Mad's reaction. So Mad, what how do how do you feel? Um I mean obviously like in the piece I kind of talked a little bit about my own feelings about like idea of representation. Um and, and you know I think it's really funny that we kind of are talking about this right on the coattails of um, the whole kind of fiasco with uh, that film critic talking about seeing red, um, which I haven't gotten a chance to see yet. But, you know, obviously uh, his whole disconnect was like, well, I'm not like a, you know, this particular person, I'm not, um, I mean, it, she's Korean, correct? Uh, Chinese. Chinese, okay. Um, In Toronto. Yeah, that's what I was gonna say, I know she, She's in Toronto, and it's like this very particular kind of like Chinese Toronto upbringing that she like taps into in the film, and um, you know, there's this uh, this film critic then who saw it and he was like, I didn't, I didn't get it, I didn't understand it, um, and I think the thing that's interesting about that is um, I think there's so many like women um, or any kind of minority group. Um, it's so hard sometimes to see yourself reflected in stories and like for us we constantly then have to adapt and learn how to connect with stories even if those stories aren't made for us and i thought it was just like such a clear example of the fact that like you're a white man you very rarely have to actually do that you very rarely have to go out the scope of your own experience and connect with other people's stories um which is a thing I think for the rest of us, like we have to do all of the time. Um, and so I, I think, you know, when you talk about this idea of representation, I think it's positive, uh, not only for the people then who are being represented, uh, represented, but I think it's also, I think it creates a sense of you have to go outside of yourself, um, which again, I think is a skill set for us to have. Um, and on top of which, you know, I think for me as like a, a writer or creator, um, I love seeing people in front of the camera who are representing something that I can aspire to, something I can recognize within myself or my own life experiences. Um, but I do also think it's so important to have those people creating those narratives um, because and this is just, again, my experience, but um, the way I think men write stories about women is very different than women write stories about women. Um, and I feel a lot of times like much more, I guess, sort of connected or like when I see a story, you know, read a story, see a film written by women, made by women. I'm like, 
this is like someone who, who understands, this is someone who like, gets the thing. This like experience of like living and existing in this like sort of female identity. I just don't think men ever have to really tackle or think about or deal with. Um, so I think it's incredibly important for people to go out there and create their own stories and have women behind the camera, writing the script in front of the camera. Um, you know, really being the ones who are in charge of like writing and sort of like narrating their own stories. Um, because I think for a really long time too, you know, like, yeah, women have been in front of the camera. They've been in films pretty much as long as films have been in existence. Um, again, from a very male perspective. Um, and you, you see all the time that like women definitely spend like a, a ton of time in movies, but um, I can't think of the statistics like exactly off the top of my head, but like when you talk about like actual screen time or speaking roles or like the types of characters that they're often given, like, let's be honest, a lot of times it's not as interesting or as much screen time or as, you know, as the male characters, you know, back in it. Um, a lot of times female characters aren't allowed to be as like messy or complicated or interesting <laughs> as their male counterparts. Um, and I think it's because it, a lot of times that's coming from a, like a very male perspective. And so I think it's incredibly important. Um, for people to be able to see themselves, to look on the screen and see stories and actors who look like them, who are telling stories that reflect their own life and their own experiences. So you don't, you don't feel so like alone or so weird or like, you know, I think whether people would do it intentionally or not, it creates this idea of like what's normative. Um, and what's like the default and what isn't. And like, it's very clear that you are not the default. <laughs> You're not the norm. Um, and like that messes with, I think that messes with your head. Like you grow up here, like again, not necessarily having the movie look you in the eye and say, you know, but um, but you're like, you're tangentially aware of it. And I think that frames how you think of your yourself and your own life um, and so I think, you know, I always growing up connected with characters who I felt, you know, I represented my own experience. You know, I think about like characters like Joe and Little Women was like one of my all time favorite things or yeah, like our buckles or, um, you know, there's like a million different things that I, I watched or loved growing up um, that I identified so strongly with. And like, I have tons of female characters that I just felt so connected to. Um, and I think that's super important because that helped frame how I thought about myself and my own sort of, uh, like the, the, my own possibilities in my own life. Um, so yeah, I think it's, it's important because it, it sort of shows you you do exist and you're not alone and you're not invisible and there are paths for you even if you know it's not always shown on screen like those seeing those people seeing those stories made it feel like i can still try like even if it isn't common or normal i can still go out there and do that other people have gone out there and done it before um and so i think it kind of like emboldens you um and so i just think it's it's so important in like a very real way just 
know that like there there are those people you're not weird you, there are, there are other people out there that are like you that look like you that have the same experiences as you um, and that you live complicated and complex a life is any white male protagonist yes no, that's, <laughs> that's all really well said and you know good art um before before i ask my follow-up of lauren good art whether it be a painting a poem a movie a song and actually maybe not even just good art great art impactful art um is ultimately an exercise in empathy yeah um and so you know we talk about this all the time when we talk about the the similarity of international film and the similarity of international struggle as represented in film that doesn't just go across nationalities and, and race, race and ethnicity and things like that. You know, it also transcends, you know, sex and gender and things like that. Universality of struggle, yeah. you know, is the human condition. And so impactful art is an exercise in empathy at its core. Sure. Um, my follow-up for you uh, because you mentioned acting and directing and that sort of thing. Uh, I'm, I guess I've never actually asked if you've been directed by a woman versus directed by a man. And if there were any kind of, for you personally, differences in that experience. That's a good question. I'm very curious. <laughs> <laughs> um, honestly, I guess it really just depends on, on the person not necessarily, um, I guess, in a, in a, in a gendered bias, um, because I've had very, like, you know, like, oh, just smile a little bit, you know, kick your leg higher, do a fun laugh or something, you know, like, very general directing from, like, both sides. No, of course. Um, but it also just really depends, I think, on, on the person, because I had a director in college, um, J.J. Abrams, who was, not not J.J. Abrams. That's a that's a that's a director director. J.J. Um, Rosella. That's his name. Sorry, my brain just like completely blanked out and like auto filled a name for a second. It's about to be really excited though. It's like in the presence of a star. That's the biggest comedy of the day. Um, who was like um, really interested in like he he studied in the Meisner technique and so he was like really like what are the words how do you feel you know what are what are you experiencing as a person how can we bring as much of you into this part as we can and i've also had you know direct like i had a director in when i just got out of high school who who does a lot of shows up in davidson and she was very like by the books director she was like all right you need to be here it was like very like you know, like a machine, almost, like, it, it really just, I think, depends on, on the person, but I think that actually, you know, now that I'm thinking about it, I feel like she, as a, as a female director, had to, like, prove herself a little bit more and be a little bit harder as a director because she is a woman than, like, he got to be as a man, he got to be more, like, 
softer and and more introspective when it came to directing because like he didn't have to get over the struggle of being taken seriously in the industry he didn't have to immediately command authority exactly whereas she needed yeah. to come in and improve the screws yeah no yeah, yeah. um but you know, I I did a directing project in in college because I had a I had a directing class, um, and I I love directing. I think that directing is such a like a fun experiment. You know, it's it's putting all of these pieces together to 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 bring something that is otherwise just words on a piece of paper to life and make it, it make it have purpose and have meaning. You know, and and not just be flat and and every day why are these characters saying these things for what purpose how does how does this line lead to the next line and lead to the end of the play you know what is what is the through line of it especially for things that aren't necessarily um just easy i guess is the best way to say it you know not just a, a normal like oh you know this obviously leads into that you know more 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 nuanced work and like i i would love to to go into that more more extensively but the thing you know with with the way that the industry is it is harder to get into that you know at, not only as as a as a woman but also just as like a young woman of color you know that's just like a you forget about it yeah you don't have any you don't have any experience how do you know what you what you know you know it doesn't matter that i have like almost 20 years of acting experience like forget throw all of that out the way you know you don't have any written down here on the paper experience so therefore i'm gonna go with college joe who who has a degree in it um who's probably a white dude um but yeah no i think that I think that my my directing experience. I've also been directed by less women than I have been men, just in just in a general sense. Um, I had one director in college actually, who uh, Kirsten Trump, who was this this very like just on her own planet kind of a woman, very like a like a, a Professor Trelawney kind of person, just like. You know, if you if you didn't catch her on the right moment, you were like, Kirsten, where are you? Come 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 back to me. You know, <laughs> she would drift off, and then she would come back, and she she created like beautiful art, but it was it was also just like a very different process of of doing things. Um, that like I think if she hadn't been in the right place, like people would have just like disregarded her as just just a woman you know uh just a, a fruity flake yeah yeah exactly um i've i've rambled for for a while about <laughs> your about your question um i think it really just depends no because also you know regardless of of gender or how you identify you know people are still people exactly i guess i was you know just sort of curious if you would notice any kind of particular difference or anything like that but but you're right at the end of the day people are people a woman can make a hostile set a man can make a hostile set a non-identifying person can make a hostile set people are people yeah well i know oh, yeah like to to the two films that we're watching today i think like a, a woman can take a stance where i'm very like <laughs> yeah no absolutely um so going off of that 
Uh, we are doing two films, like I said. Our first one is from 1916, uh, and it is called Where Are My Children? Uh, and Where are they? <laughs> <laughs> You'll see. Um, and our, our second film that we're going to be talking about is a film called Dance Girl Dance. A um, little bit of a content warning, because our first film, Where Are My Children?, covers uh, two very controversial topics, one that's a controversy still, one that is a very outdated mode of, of thinking of a pseudoscience, uh, and they are abortion and eugenics. And there's really just no way of beating around that bush, uh, so it's, it's best to just put that out there that our first movie that we're going to talk about, Where Are My Children, is heavily about that, and if you really aren't interested, I always post time codes. You can jump ahead to the second movie. It's about Lucille Ball and Catherine O'Hara. Uh, and it doesn't have any of this. So just, just a fair warning. Uh, normally we have clips. We have no clips uh, this go round. And so if it's good with y'all, I'm just going to go ahead and jump right on into it. Sure. Yeah. Do it. Cool. So, Where Are My Children, as I mentioned, came out in 1916. It is directed by uh, Lois Weber and Phillips Smalley. Uh, they were husband and wife at the time. Oh, okay. Um, and it is written by uh, Lois Weber, Franklin Hall, and Lucy Payton. It stars Tyrone Power Sr., Mary Wellcamp, uh, Cora Drew, Rena Rogers, and a woman, I believe her name, I need to pull it up real quickly, is Helen Rapinow? It's actually a little bit hard to find her name, and I'll explain why in just one second. Uh, her name is Helen Raume. Um, but the issue is that in the actual official cast, she is listed as Mrs. Tyrone Powers. And it is because hey. she is Tyrone Powers' wife. And so she actually doesn't have her name listed on IMDb. You have to go and, and hunt for her name. Classic. Uh, and the premise is a district attorney's outspoken stand on abortion gets him in trouble with the local community. Uh, which is, in my opinion, not at all really an accurate no. plot synopsis. No. <laughs> no, not even a little bit. Um, so for a little background before we dig too deep into it, Lois Weber was born in 1879 in Allegheny City, Pennsylvania. Um, she worked in the pre-Hayes Code. So the Hayes Code was from 1934 to 1968. And it was this sort of self-censorship that happened inside of, of the film industry that was very particular about how films were made, the content that was in them. And it prohibited profanity, nudity, graphic violence, rape, graphic sex, subversive or controversial themes. Okay. And so she worked in an entire period before that. She directed 135 films. Um, and she essentially ran all the way up to the start of the Hayes Code. Her last film was in 1934. Um, she even did some like step in to fill in for certain editors, she actually or directors. She actually filmed 
some of the 1930 adaptation of Uncle Tom's Cabin. Mm. Um, and she was the first person to experiment and use certain, certain things. She was the first director to use split screen in a movie. Um, she also was the first woman to direct a feature and it came two years before this. It was an adaptation of The Merchant of Venice. Um, she also was one of the first people in general to experiment with synchronized sound in a movie. Um, she was the first woman to own and operate a studio. And she was the first person to direct an adaptation of Tarzan. <laughs> <laughs> and so after that little bit of history on her, um, I'm going to turn this over to Mad and let her explain her thoughts on the movie and maybe also some of the some of the interesting history that was happening at the time. Mad, take it away. Yeah, so well, where to begin? First of all, I feel like that was a terrible, truly awful synopsis. Yes. Uh, <laughs> I mean, I guess I'll just do like a a quick kind of like rundown, I guess, of what I would consider the synopsis of the film, which is essentially um, there's this kind of like main character, I believe his name is Walton, the district attorney. Mm -hmm. Yeah, Walton. Richard and Walton. Richard Walton. I'm terrible at names, so I'm just gonna, sorry about in advance everyone else listening to me try to give a synopsis without really remembering everyone's name. Um, so he's this district attorney, um, his, he and his wife, like, he really wants kids, but for whatever reason, like, his wife isn't having any kids. Turns out, of course, that she is getting pregnant. She is just getting abortions whenever she does get pregnant, which they frame in the film as, like, she just likes having, like, a fun party lifestyle. Um, but yeah, so she's getting abortions without him knowing, um, which is something, too, that, like, a bunch of her friends are also participating in. Um, and then one day, the maids, or like the housekeeper's daughter comes to stay, and uh, at the same time, like her brother comes to stay, and of course, he hooks up with the uh, maid's daughter, who I thought also was really creepy, because it was giving me some, like, she seemed so underage, like, she's in this, like, cute little frilly dress with, like, this bow in her hair, um, so that, I was like, mm -mm, no. Um... <laughs> But yeah, so he has sex with her. She ends up pregnant as well, goes to get an abortion, and ends up botched, and she she dies. Um, and then, it, because he's a district attorney, there's a whole case that looks into it and everything that's happening, and the doctor gets to the trial, and I think it's like a kind of like, fuck you. He lets him know, he lets, uh, lets Walton know that like his wife, he should check like the ledgers, and he, he goes in there and he finds his wife's name and a bunch of her friends. Um, and of course it creates like a whole rift then because where are his children? And they're in the pearly, back in the pearly gates of heaven, which feature prominently throughout this film. <laughs> yeah. Um, so there's like the synopsis. Uh, I think the film itself is interesting in that it kind of takes place in like an interesting period in time. So, and I know we've talked about this a little bit like offline, but the film came out in 1916 and um, abortion wasn't banned in the United States until 1910. Um, prior to that, 
pretty much throughout the entire history of you know the United States and frankly I mean throughout most of human history abortion was pretty much a non-issue um, in the United States they usually um, used what was um, referred to as like the quickening doctrine which they adopted from um, Britain so for a really long time essentially the what the quickening doctrine laid out was whenever like you could have an abortion whenever up until the woman could like feel the baby move so like if you felt your baby move like it was probably an unsafe time at that point to have an abortion and it wasn't any kind of like moral thing um pretty much it was just essentially like it, it was an unsafe practice once you reached that stage in the pregnancy um and so that was pretty much the only kind of like law in the United States, the only exception, of course, being was there were anti-abortion laws um, for slaves. <laughs> so that was like the only kind of like law or legal anything beyond the quickening uh, doctrine that was in the United States up until that point in time. Um, and part of the reason this ended up even becoming an issue is essentially um, because of uh, modern medicine, because of doctors. Um, because the other thing that I think a lot of people don't think about is um, the idea of like getting pregnant and going in to see a gynecologist um, and going and, you know, having your baby inside of a hospital is um, like a very, it's very modern. Um, obviously for most of human history, that is not how people had babies. Um, you usually worked with like a midwife who would come and check on you throughout your pregnancy. Most of the time, people just had babies at home. Um, and at this point in time, doctors were kind of trying to push back on a lot of that. Um, so actually, like some of the first kind of like quote unquote pro-life movements in the United States uh, were sort of like engineered largely by the doctors of like the um, American Medical Association. And um, in fact, they, they partnered really heavily with the Catholic Church and kind of like promoted this idea of um, like when life begins. And with modern medicine, like doctors knew the exact moment when life began and it actually like predated this sort of like quickening period of time. Um, and so they really pushed hard to create this sort of like legislation that eventually led to the banning of abortion in 1910. So it's interesting that this film takes place so quickly after this ban has gone through. And especially when you think about like throughout that film again, like there was a lot of very heavy biblical images, like the whole opening, I want to say like five minutes of the film <laughs> is like this whole discussion of like sometimes angels, little, you know, souls leave and go down to earth as like babies but then sometimes they're booted back immediately because they're like unwanted um and it's like a great tragedy so um you know there's like a lot of kind of tie-ins with like religion throughout all of it anytime you you find out a woman's pregnant like the way that the movie signifies it is like it's like a little cherub baby face that pops up over her yeah children. a little superimposition yeah um I actually also kind of thought it was interesting because like the the doctor dr malfit um i thought he he almost looked a little bit like devilish he had kind of like the like pointy goatee the thin uh, mustache 
chin mustache. Like they made him look a little like, hmm. You know, it was like very sort of like gentleman devil vibes. Um, so there's a lot of tie-in very clearly with this sort of like religious movement of being like, you know, very pro-life, very anti-abortion. Um, so you've got that going on. The other thing that's like obviously awful and weird throughout the whole thing is like the mention of eugenics. Like I think there's literally a line, I made a note somewhere, um, where they talk about Walton's sister having a contracted eugenic marriage, which was a thing. So obviously eugenics is terrible. It's ableist, it's racist, it's class, it's like a million terrible things. Um, but I guess for those of you who aren't familiar, it's eugenics all has to do with like this kind of fake pseudoscientists, um, it ties into things too of like chronology of like skull shapes. And like you can look at certain things and certain features and it'll like determine the kind of person that that person's gonna be. So the other thing that's interesting I think about this whole film is that like there's also this, so like this weird tie in with religion, um, but also this kind of tie in with like eugenics um, and like, these very clearly like well-off families were having these like eugenics marriages, which actually was like a somewhat common practice where women would go and they'd like be a doctor and like have themselves checked and get sort of like a eugenics health check. And then like have potential husbands get like eugenics health checks so that you could have like, like really like, I don't know, sort of like ideal or like model children. Like Gattaca. Yeah. But, you know, very pared down and simplified. Gattaca. <laughs> um, but it's also kind of interesting, too, because there's, like, a lot of tie-in as well, I want to say, throughout the film with, like, these sorts of ideas, um, especially tied in with, like, poverty, um, because there's that kind of brief interlude where, um, you know, he's, Walton's, one of the cases he ends up trying prior to all of this happening is um, Dr. Homer, who was like handing out um, literature pamphlets on uh, birth control. And it's kind of like you have this sort of like little mini sort of like vignette where it shows all of these like super impoverished families, these women who are being beaten by their alcoholic husbands, um, having to like still have babies and things like that and just like living in these horrible, you know, like this awful, awful abject poverty, this terrible existence. And the film almost feels kind of like pro-birth control, but it's only pro-birth control for poor women. <laughs> um, those are the people that society doesn't need more of. What society needs more of are these very wealthy, well-off families. And so like these poor women using birth control and not having any more children is sort of position, positioned as this like very positive thing because it's better for society overall because then you have less poor people, less bad people, less alcoholics, you know, like less of these disgusting, filthy, poor, poor, impoverished people, some very classist shit. Um, whereas like, her, you know, Walton's wife choosing to, um, and I feel like, I feel really bad that I can't think of her name when I just called her Walton's wife. She doesn't have one. Okay. No, they just She's call just her. She's just Mrs. Walton. Okay, that's what I thought. Yes. It was like, 
Did I know this woman's name? <laughs> no, this no. this movie has all of the ists. It's also <laughs> sexist. Yeah. <laughs> so, but like her choice to not have children, like they literally refer to it as like a selfish choice. Like it's viewed very negatively. Um, you know, her decision to not have kids is basically framed as like she's this terrible, selfish, indulgent person who just enjoys having like this fun life with her friends and petting and, her dogs. And, and yeah, <laughs> yes. petting her dogs. Um, you know, and so it, it's like her choice to not have kids is negative because she's a, a well off, well bred woman who should be having kids and creating more well-bred white kids to go forth and populate the country but it's like all of the impoverished people like they should they should be the ones using birth control which again of course too like um i mean i think that whole interlude is like painted as though you're supposed to be like very sympathetic to um dr homer and everything like that of course he still ends up like um Walton ends up still like putting him to jail. Like, yeah, the jury of all men still votes yeah, for him to. Yeah, the jury of all men still votes for him to go to jail. But like that whole interlude, it's painted to be, I think, like very much empathetic for these people. And like, I think it's, I feel like it was designed to like persuade you that this was like the right choice and be like, oh, boo, they put Dr. Homer in jail. Um, so you have that, and then you have that kind of, again, like, juxtaposed with, um, the other story, um, where, again, like, he's very angry, um, at his own wife for choosing to not have children. Um, and then, of course, within that whole story as well, you have, um, like, this story of, like, this young girl who's this maid, and she has sex without, you know, being married, of course she immediately gets pregnant and i think there's also like some coding around that too because like prior to her having sex again she is depicted as like incredibly innocent it's all like very light colored clothes big bow in her hair like she looks super young and youthful and like the day she like finds out she's pregnant she's in like this dour like black gown it's very somber she looks like a million times older all of a sudden. Um, and so it's like she made this choice, she lost her innocence, and now it's like real world, boom. Um, and then, of course, she goes and she goes to get the abortion and um, it, it's botched and she ends up dying. And like her parting thing is to like tell her mother like what happened. Her mother's just like distraught about everything. Um, Yes, uh, so that's, uh, it's very, it's very, like, morality kind of story, which isn't anything, like, new, like, morality tales have been around since, like, forever, like, even at the beginning of, like, late 1790s, I think, early 1800s, there's, like, Charlotte Temple, which, again, was also written by a woman, it was, like, a hugely popular book, and then it was, like, this morality of, like, this girl who goes off and follows this guy she falls in love with, and he, like, leaves her in a band, and she dies destitute in poverty, so like it's the same kind of shtick but like movie edition again also written and directed uh by a woman so like it's interesting and intriguing obviously i don't agree with the premise <laughs> i think it's awful <laughs> i think it's awful as far as like the film itself 
Um, I think it's like an interesting look at a lot of the like ideas happening at the time period. Again, I think there's like a lot of interesting things happening there as far as like, class is concerned because abortion is banned at this point in time, but because she's like a well-off woman, she and her little friends still have access to that, which I think like even now is like a very important thing because I, I still today, like who has access to things like that is very much determined by, I think like class, race, like where you live, what you have, kind of like the resources you have access to. Um, I feel like like someone else should talk. I'm really talking a lot. <laughs> so many things to say about this movie. Uh, Lauren, why don't you take it away? Okay, um, so I love going into movies not having a damn clue what what it's going to be about and just, like, letting letting it play out. So for a while, since it, like, starts out with the whole, like, birth control thing, and I was like, oh, this movie is going to be, like, a weird movie about, like, people who, like, you know, should you get pregnant? Can you get pregnant? Yeah. kind of thing and so for a while I was thinking that like the cherub thing was like these these women's like longing oh. for pregnancy okay. and I was like going down that for a really long time and then I realized that it was about abortions and I did like a double take I was like whoa 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 <laughs> and I had to like rethink the entire movie for a little bit there because like the you know, it is the the early 1900s of film, and so they really, like, obviously don't have a lot of, you know, I guess technological advances at their, at their behalf, and so, like, I thought, you know, I was like, oh, you know, this is the children that she could have if only, you know, I thought it was like a, oh, you know, like a, like a miscarriage story instead of it being about abortions, <laughs> and <laughs> kind of like threw me because I was like I didn't know about all of this yeah. history of, of the times and about you know abortions being something that was even talked about back then and like you know high society and whatnot because like it seems like something that like you know my grandmother would have like never spoke about like it was very hushed tones like we we don't talk about these things yeah. kind of subject and so the fact that like people are very like openly like even this movie is, is weirdly yeah. like protesting against it but it's very loud once you figure it out yeah although I do think it's interesting to your point like they know I don't think they ever actually use the word abortion no not at all they they do a lot of like weird like coding and um she's like euphemism yeah exactly she's like sick is what they call it you know her friend gets is ill and so she goes to the doctor and the doctor makes her better and then it's like really never talked about like what the illness is yeah. what he's doing none of that is spoken of and so it wasn't until like much later in the movie because again i had no idea what the plot you know the, the synopsis was that i was like uh, are they talking about they are oh oh you know it like it really hit me like a truck like halfway through the movie um and i felt like this movie was really kind of like all over the board like to your point um i think that it was very like specific of who should be getting what and yeah. i think that that's where like the plot for me got a little muddy because it was like you know some people sure they can have birth control but not other people like it's really wrong for you specifically and it was really like this you know, wishy-washy kind of um, outlook on the whole idea. 
you know, like either you're for it or you're not. And that's kind of like, you know, where I, <laughs> where I sit. And I felt like this movie was really hitting this weird, like, it's fine for them, but not for you. Yeah. Well, I, I think that's a little bit where the like larger eugenics conversation comes into play though. No. Yeah, for sure. And honestly, like the, the whole beginning part of like the, the woman getting like beaten by her husband and like, not just like they were having a whole fisticuffs it was moment. a brawl like they, she was she was just as equally in that fight as he was like she was not backing down it was i oh man honestly like the fight in this one was more interesting than the fight in in the the next movie that we we'll had where, that. <laughs> where he like punches him once in the chest and he goes down like i was like these people are actually fighting right now and they were like recording it i was like shit this just got way more intense out of nowhere um i thought that like some of the the imagery was really interesting in this movie with like a lot of the um obvious puppet or like the cutouts of like angels and like the the pearly gates that they would like do in like soft focus so you couldn't Can tell you like the where the sticks were like pounds of, <laughs> of like fog yeah 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 i was like oh you know uh, i get it you gotta make an effect happen and like yeah. i was like you know it looks yes. it looks good considering um but i thought that the, the most interesting visual of this entire movie happens like at the end where he's like super pissed at his wife and we're like fast forwarding through time I'm where it's there. like yes 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 it's the ghost of all of the children that he never he had with her had. Yeah. exactly exactly and it's like first you get like them sitting there and it's like the ghost like toddler children come up and they're playing and then like out of it goes away and then his hair goes gray and he has a cane and then like the adult children come out and he still looks really like upset and grumpy about the fact that like where are his children and i think that's just like a weird like concept of thinking that like i guess these 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 children that she's she's aborted have had like spirits and lives and like have come down from heaven and you know could have could have had so much when when in reality you know it's it's just a bunch of cells um but <laughs> that's that's a whole different topic um no i think that that was probably like the most the, the most interesting moment for me especially was just like the the like transitional effect of it it felt very like theater almost of like this yeah. and then they they panned away and then the adults came out and it was like this really smooth honestly for 1916 like transition moment and then the movie stops and yeah. that's like the last <laughs> that's that's it um i will say that like i i wanted them to figure out where they were gonna put like words more more frequently i felt um, like a long stretches where it would just be like a lot of people doing stuff with no sound and then like finally a card would come up and i'd be like oh i would just kind of like make up i'd, I'd like just kind of be like i guess they're talking about this right now and then finally five minutes later it'd be killing a card <laughs> no literally and i felt like that was also like tying into a lot of my confusion of what the plot was because it was just like a, wa a lot watching people pantomime for a really long time and then like the card that for like most of the movie like the cards that popped up would be like scene based things it would be like now our scene is transitioning and so it'd be like her brother came to visit yeah. And such and such's daughter is here. And I was like, 
great, but like they had a whole scene that we got nothing about. Like the the women chatting with their with their martinis or and their teas and things, and like that scene we're just like, no, no, no. It's just just a just a bunch of hoity-toity women doing women things. Skip ahead. Yeah, no, I did think so. Kind of like off of what you're sort of been talking about and touching on is like I guess as far as some of her like director choices. And like some of the editing choice, like I do think that like some of what she did is different and interesting because yeah, like I was also expecting the kind of like classic format of you get like people kind of doing like one or two things here and then there's like a little dialogue card. And like that didn't really happen. It was a lot more just she let it play out more on screen than I think a lot of other, you know, like black and white you know, uh, films I, I've seen before that, you know, are silent movies. Um, I, I thought she, she did, she kind of like let whole little like vignettes occur and then sort of did like a little summarization with like a, here's what's about to, like an intro to like the next little scene, which I thought was like interesting at times. I agree. It made things sort of like a little difficult to sort of parse through what all was happening. Um, but no, and I, and I also think she she kind of like, it was like one of the first movies too that I can think of that's like an old silent film where like, you almost have like, like flashbacks too, which again, mm -hmm. they did like really intro. But like, you know, when Dr. Homer is kind of like giving his testimony in court, they do like this flashback to his experiences, you know, working among the like poor classes and things like that. Um, and I think that's like one of the first movies I can think of where they had like extensive flashback scenes. So um, like a lot of the stuff that she did choose to do, like the, some of the graphics and things like that, I did think was like, I, I was like surprised. I thought it was interesting and it did make the film feel different visually than um, like a lot of other silent movies I've, I've seen. No, yeah. And like there was the moment, like, I think that like, there was like a halfway point where like the movie finally like she couldn't continue to do that without putting more in and so like out of nowhere we just like got more talking and like it got more serious um especially with like you know the the courtroom scene like we got a, a way more interaction and less less like um I guess staging and like visuals it was like more like this is what this movie is about and that was the moment where I was like oh we've been talking about this the whole time <laughs> I see yeah um no I definitely agree no yeah um y'all have covered a lot of of ground um, <laughs> and so I'll say this the she was very technically gifted um, she did nothing but social issue pictures, stuff about the temperance movement, stuff about women, stuff about abortion. Like, this is her entire bag, her whole career, until eventually, like, the audience decided, like, we're tired of you, and her movies started to tank. Mm. Um, she is very technically gifted, though, and at the time, you know, she was kind of right up there as far as advanced techniques that she was doing with D.W. Griffith, another problematic film director of, of the time period. Um, 
but like she's one of the few directors of the silent era, especially the time that she was working that used close-ups. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, because pretty much everything lived in a wide shot in in silent films for a long time. And she doesn't get like close, close, but she's one of the few people who actually goes and does like reaction shots. Mm-hmm. Camera angles. Yeah. yeah. Um, so she was very technically, technically talented. Um, and her idea is very, um, whether she meant it to be or not, it reads very much um, vaguely racist, you know, very, very um, homogenous, you know, very classist. There's a lot to unpack with this message that we could spend a lot of time talking about in terms of, especially when you look at the history of eugenics and her inclusion of that into the conversation, it gets very complicated. Um, The other thing that I was just going to make an interesting note of is the name Homer. It's really interesting that Homer, you know, most people go and think Homer Simpson, the Simpsons. Um, But there are two instances now that I can think, huh? (laughs) I think that predates, this movie predates the Simpsons, I think. Yeah. But um, what I was gonna say was that there are now two instances that I can think of where Homer is kind of applied to this kind of um, semi-sympathetic um, every mannish character kind of wedged into socio-political commentary. And so there's now Dr. Homer in this, but then a few years later, you've got Clifford Odets, who was doing all of his um, social and economic uh, plays and stuff like that. And he had a character called Homer Simpson. Uh, who was this sort of everyman wedged into a complicated socio-political context. And so I think it's interesting that like for a little while, it feels like in the early 20th century, Homer was this name. It it, it makes me think of like Wickes in District 9. It's like a, it's like a fucking dingus character. Well, see, I thought you were going to go with like Homer, like the, Oh gosh, the the like old the ancient t- yeah, like Homer the Odyssey. Yeah, I thought you were gonna like go in that direction. I was not expecting um, a completely separate from the Simpsons. Mm-hmm. Simpson, you know, <laughs> you know. Now I I feel like they they ripped that right out of there and were like, I'll take that, you know. <laughs> um, but honestly, no, I don't. Oh, go ahead. Oh, I was just gonna say the thing I do think is interesting though whether or not you agree with like the topic of her film, which obviously I do not. Um, I do think it's interesting though that like this, you know, vibes very kind of like, again, like very morality story, very like women's place is to be, a certain kind of women's place is to be a wife and a mother. Um, But I think it's so interesting to have this like, woman writing this being a prolific director working in this industry being a a working woman while also creating these stories that push this like very intense narrative of like traditional womanhood and this strange kind of like version and like dissonance between those two things no, no yeah, yeah i was thinking the same thing because honestly like at the end of the day the wife isn't our main character 
the, the the district attorney is he he is our main character she is a subplot and that's why at the end like the where is where are my children is a yeah, statement yeah it's it's his statement yeah this is this is his truth these, these you know he is going on his journey and i think that it's really interesting to like be a woman writing this directing this but still somehow having it be like from a male from a man's perspective mm -hmm. I definitely agree. No, that's really valid. Um, so we'll do it, I guess, in, in order. So Mad, then, then Lauren, then me. Uh, if you had to rate Where Are My Children out of five, what would you give it? Uh, I don't know. Um, for, like, technical work, I'll give it, I'll give it a five. In, like, just straight up, like, cinematography, technical work, I'll give it a five. I thought it was visually interesting. I hated the plot and some of the pacing I thought was really off. So I'll give it like a, I don't know, like a two. Because, but again, also I think this is heavily painted by the fact that, again, very clearly I do not agree with any of the content. <laughs> no, oh my gosh, thank you. I was going to say a two as well. I just... At the after watching this movie, I was just like, what the hell? <laughs> you know, like I was I was really like angry the fact that like this movie got to be made with this just like a crazy inflammatory like topic, you know. Um and just just the, the spread of misinformation on like a, a very wide scale that I'm sure that this movie like touched a lot of people of the times and like therefore cascaded into the world that we live in today and so i've really gotta i really gotta blame this movie for a lot of stuff um but i do agree with um with matt i think that like technically speaking this movie is like a, a one of a kind of the times like it is really a before a lot of movies that like we've watched that are from the 20s and 30s that are not as technically advanced as this that are very like you know the camera is just basically like your seat in the audience of this theater and you only get one view and it is wide and you get to see everything. And I think that, you know, from that aspect of it, I will agree that it is like very technically an interesting film. I just, I just hate everything that it has to say. <laughs> no, I think that that's fair. I'm going to go just for a lump score of, of two and a half, you know, because again, like Mad said, she is a very technically gifted filmmaker, especially for the time. She's doing some interesting things on, on a visual narrative level. Um, and she was also doing stuff, you know, again, for a little bit of historical context, she was doing this kind of stuff six years before women got the right to vote. Yeah. And, you know, so she was doing all of this stuff you know, eventually owning her own studio. She got divorced. She's a very interesting woman. Like I said, she's um, like oddly progressive in some ways. Mm -hmm. But not. But, but, not. The, <laughs> but the overall <laughs> politics of this movie becomes so muddy and the themes get so contradictory on themselves and also steeped in so much um, uh problematic thinking that it ultimately ends up really detracting from and i think that that's also why her legacy has not really moved much further um 
because you know a lot of female directors a lot of women directors of the time period that we do remember more fondly now kind of got picked up again in the 70s in like that wave of feminism and like there's no way in hell that yeah. any of those women were going to go back and be like let's raise up lois weber uh, so, Somebody was, but that that woman is the mother of Carrie from. <laughs> so. And so, you know, I think I'm going to go for for just a clean two and a half on this one. Okay. Right. Um, right in the middle. Yeah. <laughs> um, so moving on, we now have uh, Dorothy Arzners. Uh, Dance Girl Dance from 1940. Uh, for a little bit of background on Dear Dorothy, she was born in 1897, almost 20 years after Lois, uh, in San Francisco, California. She came from a very wealthy family. Um, and essentially her father guaranteed that, like, she would never have to work if she didn't want to. And so she never... Be nice. <laughs> right? <laughs> so she never worked really for income. Um, she made 21 films, I believe, from 1927 to 1943. Um, she was the first woman inducted into the Directors Guild of America. Oh. Um, she began her career as a typist, then as a script supervisor, and then she became an editor. Um, and she worked in some of the same places and was working at the same time also as Lois Weber. Um, she was the developer of an early boom mic because one of her first actors was, um, Carolyn, uh, Bow from Wings, who was a silent actor who moved into the talkies. Mm. And apparently Bo felt very uncomfortable and wasn't sure what to do. And so she put a microphone on the end of a fishing pole of some kind. And uh, so that way she could move around and, and someone could just follow her with a microphone. Hey, that's great. Yeah. Um, it's honestly not that much different. No. <laughs> Uh, she was also one of the first people to create a film course for a college uh, setting. Hmm. Um, and then when she was done directing films, because of her relationship to Joan Crawford, if I'm not mistaken, who ended up being on the board of directors for Pepsi, she ended up directing over 50 commercials for Pepsi after she retired. Wow. Go figure. Um, Random. She was... <laughs> Uh, a lesbian and she had a relationship with the choreographer for Dance Girl Dance oh, and she yeah. also supposedly had a relationship with Joan Crawford. That, that explains more uh -huh. actually. <laughs> um, and if you look at her she definitely presented if you find some pictures of her she definitely presented herself in a very masculine yeah. way a lot of suits, a lot of ties. She kept her hair short, nicely combed. Um, and so she, she definitely presented herself very much in a more masculine, especially for the times, uh, presentation. Well, I mean, that makes sense. Um, there are, there's a lot of accounts of like lesbians of, of the era 
going into the more like masculine clothing mm-hmm. since it's it's you know it's it's taboo yeah and so it was really like kind of stamping themselves as like an other of you know of the times is, is really like i, I uh, um embracing something that is not expected of 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 who you are uh she also gave the big start to a lot of women um and one of those big ones is definitely uh katherine hepburn Oh, okay. I think that you, like, put Katherine Hepburn and Maureen O'Hara together I'm... earlier and made oh, Katherine O'Hara. Oh, sorry. <laughs> sorry but about imagine that. Imagine what a power child that would have been. No, exactly. you're right. <laughs> uh, so our film from 1940, Dance Girl Dance, uh, is directed by Dorothy Arzner. It is written by Tess Selsinger. Frank Davis and Vicki Baum. Uh, it stars Maureen O'Hara, Lewis Hayward, Lucille Ball, Virginia Field, and Ralph Bellamy. And the premise is when a troop of Don Seusses, that is what it says in the official plot description, Lauren's looking at it. It does. I've never seen this word before in my life. <laughs> uh, become unemployed one of them takes up burlesque dancing while the other dreams of performing ballet. And (laughs) so that's the plot synopsis for this one. Uh, Mad, do you want to take this one away as well or? Uh, Sure, I mean. Yeah, go ahead, kick it off. I would say I could tell straight to that. A much more progressive. (laughs) (laughs) What? more fun to watch uh and i know uh, I yes. the other night, but i still think it's like really absurd to me that they tried to make maureen o'hara like not hot like they tried to make her like the like clunky best friend and like in what fucking world though like, <laughs> what are you talking about um no but um no, I thought it was, uh, again, like I said, a lot more of a kind of, like, progressive film. I hated Jimmy. I hated Jimmy so much. Mm. Um, but no, you know, I think, um, I'm trying to gather all of my, all of my thoughts. Um, I have, like, way less notes on it. One of my really, really great ones, though, is, um, the final look that she has at the end of the movie is very Pilgrim chic, which I thought with the giant black hat and like the black outfit with like the little white collar. She looks yes, like they played that hat so well for like <laughs> staging. It was great. <laughs> but no, you know, I think obviously, like I said, it's a lot more of a progressive film. Um, this is, you know, we're, we're going from like upper middle, like upper class like stay at home ladies of leisure to like these are working class women it's like a dance troupe of women who you know sometimes literally like are on their last like coin and can't even take a taxi home like working women who are you know no male chaperone out in the world taking care of themselves looking out for one another like it's clearly like a very different class of women very different outlook on women um and all of the female characters really throughout are like very unique in their own individual kind of person. I mean, again, you have Maureen O'Hara, who like, was our character Judy? 
Judy? I, I think that yes. that's right. That sounds right. That feels right. I mean, yeah, she's she's painted as a little bit more, you know, kind of like, especially at the beginning, a little bit more like demure. Uh, again, they kind of try to do like that thing they do in modern movies where it's like they put glasses on a girl and pull her hair up and like pretend like she's not like hot and super fucking fantastic, but like it's still like Maureen O'Hara and I'm like, I know, what are you, we, we know. Um, you know, so they kind of play her off a little bit as like, a bit of like a, like a milk sop at the beginning. She's like a little bit like, you know, but, but she really kind of comes into herself throughout the whole film leading up to, you know, this kind of like final moment where she like, is just fed up with everyone's shit and she's like done being Lucille Wall's stooge. And she's done with, like, this whole crowd of mostly men jeering at her and treating her like shit. And she's done with, like, Jimmy and all of his crap. And so she just has her little, like, monologue, um, you know, up on stage where she just kind of, like, condemns everybody for being out there and being super judgmental and being judgmental of, of her, of this, like, woman who comes out here and, like, you know, it was very kind of like you come out here to be like titillated and everything like that and, and you like treat us like shit and it's like all just to be this kind of like I'm a big man strutting around and then like, you know, go home to your like mundane lives um, and get your kicks by like shitting on, on people like me. Um, which again felt like significantly more of a, a progressive stance. Um, and you know, like, again, Lucille Ball's characters sort of... Um, it's like va va boom she's like the much more sort of like sensual one the one that like all the men are into and she's painted a little bit as like you know a little bit of like a gold digger but i didn't think that the film did it in a way that made her like a completely unlikable character or like that was the only thing about her like people you know kind of played it off like she was she was smart she was street street smart she was making the right choices she just like had this thing that like, other people didn't have and she knew she had that thing and so she was gonna fucking use that thing to like get herself up and out you know like she comes back after she's gotten this job as this burlesque performer and she's in this like nice dress and she looks super chic and the like lady at the front desk or whatever is like i always knew you were the smart one you know like she's not the other women aren't like slut shaming her or like down on her for any of the choices she makes at any point in the film and even like marina hara like her character at the end like they reconcile she's like not mad at her she's not upset with like what she did um the only thing i think that's like very questionable about like lucille ball's character is when she takes a man who's very clearly intoxicated and marries him um not cool not cool but um even then you know she's just like all right like you're still in love with your ex-wife clearly like it's a done deal for fifty thousand dollars <laughs> um but she's like played off as like a very shrewd businesswoman frankly um and then you know you even have like the character of and i can't think of what the secretary's name is but um the, like the dance troupe guys again so great with names um his like secretary and like he miss olmstead Thank you. He treats her very much as, like, an equal. Um, mm -hmm. You know, he, it's not some sort of thing where she's, like, his hot secretary and, like, take take my notes and my coffee order and get the fuck out, tits. Like, it's not anything like that. He asks her opinion. He, like, includes her in conversations. He trusts her judgment. Like, at the very end, he brings her to the burlesque show. It's, like, his friend. 
you know, and it got, it felt, it felt like very like convivial, like two people who had like a, like a relationship, like a working relationship, but also like legitimately liked each other. And there wasn't ever any kind of like weird sexual tension or anything like that. It was like, we're just two people hanging out, um, which I, I think is kind of refreshing and not necessarily a thing you always saw at the time in film. Um, and yeah, you know, like when uh, Maureen O'Hara gives her little speech at the end, she like stands up and is like, fucking standing ovation. And even like the, the two guys were giving uh, Lucille Ball's character shit about like being in a burlesque show and they made some comment about it. And she was like, hey, she's just making a living like the rest of us. Like you have no right to give her any shit for any of the choices she has to make. Um, so I thought like a lot of the stances that they took were like relatively progressive um for the time um there were some things that i thought again were just like patently ridiculous like i, I literally I laughed out loud when the old lady the old dance troupe lady <laughs> when she got hit by a car and just dies i was like ah, same what? <laughs> what just happened here um so I thought that there were like, <laughs> I felt like it w it could have been like a tighter film. I think there were like, it got a little lost in like random one-off side plot things like her dying. Why did she need to die? I guess because then it created like the weird thing where like Marina Hara and the main dude like don't meet up or something. Yeah, until they need to or whatever. But, like, you could have, I don't know, you could have done other things. I literally was not expecting her to die. <laughs> <when she laughs> was, like, fucking plot twist. Oh, my God. Um, so there was, like, stuff like that. I, again, I really did find Jimmy, like, unbearable. Like, he was just so erratic. And I was like, why do any of these women, like, I understand why Lucille Ball was, like, putting up with that shit. Because she was like, get money. Like, fair enough. But I was just like, Marina O'Hara, why are you going on dates with this clearly, like, all over the place man? Like, honey, no. Stay home. Don't hang out with him. He's like, no. <laughs> um, I thought just, like, he was, like, ridiculous. And then again, I thought some of the, like, costume choices were funny. Like, they do that whole sort of, like, modern choreography number. And I know future we talked about this, but I swear to God, I thought all the men looked, like, like they looked like Vision in the Halloween outfit. That's right. <laughs> I, I love that you called it the choreography number because it does remind me of, of White Christmas where they're like, like just doing choreography. choreography. Yeah. <laughs> it's very like we are trying to be modern and cutting edge and this is choreography. Like that's, yeah. that's right. That the main dancer just like curls up into a ball on the floor for a while. That's right, and then she like metamorphoses into like a, a modern woman of the times. Yeah, I was just like, all right, guys. Um, so like some of that was like a little bit ridiculous. Um, but no, like, and I still think that that one guy who showed up during the hula scene is like the spirit, on, like on par with like John Lovitz in A League of Their Own. Like I, I pulled up, I sent you those two pictures. They look. So fucking similar. They're given the same energy. Um, so yeah, no, there were parts of it I thought were just like patently ridiculous. And then the, the fight scene uh, between the two of them was absurd. Also, I literally like paused and tried to take a screenshot of when Jimmy goes to like punch Puss in Boots 
or whatever. Cause I, he like goes like this and then the guy just goes down. And I was like, it didn't even look like he hit him in the face. And I paused it and I took a screenshot. It's like he punched the guy in like the tit and then the guy just- No, like, literally he like punches him like dead in like the chest, like just yeah. boop. And then he just like goes down. Ass over tea kettle. And I was like, what in the world <laughs> is happening here? What? It's yeah, like the it weakest not, punch too. It's great. <laughs> it, was, it was super weak. He had, it was like neep, and then the guy was just gone. And I was like, "This is terrible fight choreography." It was much better when the like uh, Lucille Ball and Marino Hara were fighting. I was like, "That's oh yeah, better. they were straight up scrapping it out." It was <laughs> way better fight scene than that whole situation. Terrible, terrible punch. And that's my hot take on that film. <laughs> Um, no, I completely, I completely agree with, like, everything that you said. Um, oh, gosh, you, you had some gems in there. <laughs> um, no, I think that, like, okay, so, I do think that they, like, they painted Maureen O'Hara as this Larry, like, oh, she's so sweet and innocent, and, like, oh, gosh, she's just had some hard times, but she's getting through it, and yeah. she's, living in new york city and it's hard to be a woman you gotta be tough and she's just like not that person and so like you get to see her kind of get like bounced around a little bit from like job to job and like i also like totally understood this entire movie like really nothing in about the new york um performance scene has truly changed honestly from this film it's kind of like you get a job and you're like well fuck it like <laughs> I guess I will do a touring show where I, I give kids traffic safety advice. I guess I am doing this for a little bit. It's not because I want to, but that is my real life story um, <laughs> of living in New York. Um, but like, no, I totally understood this whole like, you know, you got to do what you got to do. Um, kind of attitude and then there's like two different sides to it. You know, there's the, the Maureen O'Hara um Yes, Maureen O'Hara, who's, like, just trying to, you know, make an honest, like, I want to, I this is my goal, I'm going to yeah. get there, and then she sees the, like, true dancer, yeah. dance troupe, and she gets intimidated by it, and she's like, yeah, I can't, yeah. I can't do this, what am I even, why am I even here, what am I even doing with, with my entire journey, and, like, really, like, watching her try and, like, figure refigure out reevaluate like who she is as a person and like where she wants to go from here on and then there's like the the lucille uh ball character who is very much like a, she is a shrewd businesswoman like that was perfect because like yeah. she 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 knows exactly what her gifts are she knows exactly how to play the room however she wants it to be and she is also, like, used to being the center of attention. So, like, I understand her going for Jimmy because, like, not only, like, even before she realizes that he has money, she's like, oh, it's just another dude that I can play and get as much as I want from him and then drop him dead, you know, and then still be on top. You know, it's, it's a power yeah. play. And it's, it's, it's really interesting. I don't have no idea why Maureen O'Hara wanted wanted Jimmy I I also agree that I felt like he was very like a sporadic character and like 90% of the times that we saw him he was either like drunk or like sincere and there was like no real in between between him being blatantly blackout drunk and him being yes. like maybe I like this girl who I can't remember where I've known her from yeah and just <laughs> you can do better I promise you you can um and like his plot like I really could have just like done without it 
Yeah. You know, I felt like they used it as kind of like this metamorphosis for like uh, just another thing for Maureen to like get over on her journey of like self-discovery throughout this movie. But I really like, I was just going to, you could have just chucked that whole plot line for me and I would have been fine. Other than the like them fighting over him at the end bit, like we really just like didn't need him and we could have found that same energy and just like a completely different point in the of the plot that like stuck with the the whole like it being about two women just trying to make it in the industry. Yeah, I agree. Um but yeah, um I also I see I I knew that that old bitch was gonna die. The moment she got on that bus and they kept talking about how pretty she looked and her brand new hat and this, that, and the other, I was like, she's going to die. She's going to die right now. Like, they're going to plot twist me really hard because, like, they brought this character and they, just so random, too, that they were just like, she just stands in the middle of traffic and goes, what? And then just, like, gets hit by a a car. I know it wasn't supposed to be funny. And, like, her last, her, like, dying words are, like, don't forget the dance thing. Yeah. Go and dance. And I was, like, (laughs) what? It's not, like, (laughs) it's not, like, tell my family I love them or anything important. She's, like, remember his name is such and such. Go and do the thing and i was just like why why are we even wasting time with this it was but i i got a good hearty chuckle out of out of that whole scene i Um, I also like oh sorry go ahead no 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 no, go go (laughs) i'm gonna say it always like the other thing that i was just like perplexed by i was like why was like i did not understand why maureen o'hara hated what was his name adam or steve or whatever the fucking like main dance guy what was his name Oh, um, I don't know. The guy with the lipstick. I, I kept... <laughs> was I the only one who noticed the fact that, like, his know, lips definitely. were, like, oddly, like, tinted? The um, entire film? No, like, I did not understand how, she, like, I don't... I think that that was the thing. I was like, I don't understand why she's, like, drawn to hanging out with Jimmy. But this guy, who seemed, like, way more even keeled, was like, hey, what's up? Like, just no, trying yeah, to help her out, Steve get her, like, a taxi, because it was raining, like, he was just being, like, a decent person, and then, like, kept leaving her his fucking business card, and she was like, fuck you in hell, Steve, adios, like, <laughs> like no, yeah. yeah, because also, like, that was before she even realized, like, the whole, like, plot twist at the end is, like, she has no idea that this is the guy that yeah. she was gonna audition for, exactly. even though he keeps trying to, like, leave his card for her, and all of this yeah. stuff, and, like, saw her in the same building, on the same floor, yeah. like, it's, I, I, I completely agree, honestly, like, I don't understand, because I think that that's where she was like, I gotta be a tough New York girl yeah, but she was going on. <laughs> yeah, you had bad instincts. No, honestly, like, she, she really does just, like, lean into the wrong dude, where she's like, maybe this weird alcoholic guy who has, like, split personality, he just keeps going back and forth. Yeah, he's weird. Maybe I can change him. I don't know. And this guy who's, like, older, but also is, like, genuinely a nice dude, she's like, go fuck yourself. Yeah. you with this man. No, yeah. It's so odd, but also, like, I found, like, his whole thing, like, hilarious as well, like, the, 
his like, I'm interested in this girl at first sight and I have no idea why. And it just yeah. happens to be the girl that was in my my office that I didn't get to meet. It's it's fate. I was like, why is he so drawn to this girl who all he did was see her in an elevator? Yeah, five seconds <laughs> where she looked depressed as fuck, by the way. <laughs> no, yeah. Um, but no, I really, I really enjoyed this film a lot. I felt like the, the plot was really interesting. And, um, you know, to your point, it was like, very progressive, especially for the times of like, you know, people have to make a living. This is the reality of what it is. Like, obviously, it had a lot of like dramatized moments. But like, for the most part, it had a lot of heart to it. Yeah. And um the characters weren't just like this one's the bad guy and this one's the good one and these are these are the idiot ones like a lot of they had like a lot of interesting like character development and nuance in the, in the and at the end like it didn't just end the way that you're expecting a movie from the 40s to end where like yeah. the guy gets the girl and it's a happy ending like yeah she, they even like at the end are like you know she's got everything but like the training and we're gonna get her there you know it's a it's an open door of like her getting her dream but also like understanding like she's not there yet you know instead of it just being like happily ever after and we're done here yeah no i agree it wasn't just some sort of like pan to her like on stage as a star fade to black kind of like boom rainbow ending like Jimmy ends up back with his very mediocre ex-wife. Like, um, Lucille Ball's character doesn't get this sort of, like, happy ending where she has, like, a loaded husband, you know? Like, and she, but she seemed fine with it. She was like, all right, I'm going to keep on hustling. I'm going to keep on keeping on. Like, she was That's fine. right. <laughs> Let's go, baby. It's no big deal. And then, yeah, like, Eleanor, or not Eleanor. Eleanor was Jimmy's wife. Um, Judy shows up. You know, at the end of the yeah, so like it turns out it's the guy, and it's like this whole thing of like she gets to like start this whole process, and like her like one lament sort of like lamentation is that she could have been here like way earlier on, but she like fucked herself <laughs> over. No, yeah, I love the fact that she just like ends up like laughing herself to tears basically, and realizing that like if only I had just like not brushed this guy off so many times. <laughs> Correct. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> laughing herself to tears the moment you said it all I thought uh, was the end of uh, Nightmare Alley we need a geek just oh for a God. little while yes <laughs> that, was um, yes. that was incredible it was incredible oh that's a good movie um, <laughs> the only honestly the, I, I again y'all did a really great job at, at breaking this one down I, I don't really have anything to add the only things that I have to add are, you know, you can also tell that not only is this a more progressive or very different background director, but you can also see the effect of the fact that she's working in the thick of the haze cone. Yeah. You know, she's having to put all of her themes much more subtly and a lot of her ideas much more subtly into the work. Um, because 
you know, she can't show what a real burlesque show is like. Oh my god, yes! I was like, I was, <laughs> I was like, this is a very tame burlesque show. Uh-huh. Oh, this is just average vaudeville. Like, that's all that yeah. was. <laughs> and so, like, you can really see the effect of, like, going a little bit before the Hayes Code, going a little bit after the Hayes Code, and then go and look at a movie in the middle of it. And it's an entirely different fucking ballpark, you know? Yeah, I agree, um, The only other note that I had to add was that um, Madame Lydia Basilova, played by Maria Ospenskaya, uh, yes. she was a character actor. She was known for the Wolfman. Uh, she was like the gypsy woman in the old Wolfman That makes a lot movie. of sense. Uh, and she was a, uh, I think, USSR immigrant to America. And she actually studied under Stanislavski. Hey, that, that again. And she Honestly, I feel up, like they brought a lot of, like, that, like, matronly, like, yeah. mm, uh, of the acting prowess to mm -hmm. this a lot. And so she ended up becoming an acting teacher and an acting coach and helped bring the Stanislavski acting method to America and to a, a generation of American actors. And that's, those are honestly the only little bits that I have about this movie. That's a, that's a good little bit. I didn't know that. And, and that hits right in my background. Yeah. <laughs> and I, I will say like, I know she gets TKO'd right at the beginning there, but like, I thought she brought like a lot of like gravitas, to like what I think really was not like a super, it's not like that there was a whole lot written into that character, but I thought that like her portrayal added a lot yeah. to what was like a pretty anemic, I'm going to say, bit of dialogue and like script probably for this And character. screen time, yeah. Yeah. No, yeah, honestly, like her playing the, the matron, the, the troop leader, um, it was a very interesting like, very small small part that i think that like without her would have just kind of been like eh just like another another side character almost like the the guys who run the the burlesque show like uh, who's it and what you call them you know it would have just been like a eh, whatever but like i think that she did bring a lot of like um she brought like a grounding force to that troop. She was the glue holding that troop together kind of thing. No, yeah, and she also like didn't she she stood out in her own way, you know, she was she was her own person in it. And I thought that that was really interesting as well. Um also like Lucille Bolt, sorry, random aside, the fact that like Lucille's character the entire time was named Bubbles. Really Yay. just Bubbles <laughs> until she was Tiger Lily. Yeah, yeah, well, yeah. <laughs> Indeed, until she was Tiger Lily for no reason whatsoever. I feel like Bubble still works as a burlesque name. I guess it's not quite as fancy sounding. It's not like Lily St. Cyr or something, but... No, yeah, but I just really enjoyed the fact that, like, they were just like, oh, it's Bubbles, you know, like, she really did sound like some, like, you know, some stripper from, like, the Bronx or something. Like, oh, it's Bubbles. When they said her name was Bubbles, it made me think of um, Zach, Zach and Mary make a porno. Oh, yeah. Yes! Um, yeah. So, we'll go again in, in order of, of presentation. So, Matt, if you had to rate uh, Dance Girl Dance out of five, what would you give it? Okay, I'm going to say a three and a half because there were some plot elements that I think you could have just like cut and it would have been like a much tighter film. 
but I like honestly I like I really enjoyed it it was fun which the first one was not fun (laughs) (laughs) and I watched them in order so I watched that I watched where my children and then followed it up immediately with that and I was like whoo thank god (laughs) (laughs) that's the right response I needed something else and so like it's like super fun it's like a fun frivolous little um movie I enjoyed it I enjoyed it a great deal no I think that's fair Lauren um honestly I enjoyed this movie a lot um I liked their the little performance little bits that we we got with them like actually dancing and like Lucille performing her song and we got to see like the number go a few times and it really did feel like um like a working performer in like a Mm -hmm. a real sense like i i really enjoyed that i also agree yes there were some plot points where i was like oh no throw it away oh damn gosh you know really miss it Uh, (laughs) but you know for the most part like i i really enjoyed this movie i think my biggest gripe with the movie is the fact that it's called dance girl dance um like what the who why that's the just the vaguest just nonsense title um i really wanted the old lady to say it as she died you know dance girl <laughs> that's dance. what i mean that's what i thought her last words were gonna be and then it wasn't i was like damn okay fine we were so close um i think i'm gonna do i'm gonna go with a four i really enjoyed this movie a lot um and i also like to see like Times square in the 40s that was fun without yeah. all of the like what we think of as Times square you know, there, but it was like, it, it still, it still felt right. And I was like, this is really cool. Just getting to see New York, but in a completely different time period, but like in, in an, an authentic sense. No, for sure. Um, I'll go, I'll, I'll go for as well. Um, I really enjoyed it. There are definitely, again, some plotting and some pacing issues, which I think are totally fair, but, um, no, it's a, it's a fun little romp. I liked it well enough that, um, it's it's out in the Criterion collection, and I'd I'd be I'd be tempted enough to get it yeah. and add it and and have something, you know, help expand some of the the variety and some of the access that we have in our physical media here at home. Um, even if it isn't something that I watch all the time, I think that it's something that I could be like, let's, you know, let's put on Dance Girl Dance, you know, yeah. and and I think that that's yeah. I also really enjoyed um, getting to see Lucille play something that isn't her iconic role as Lucy. I agree. Mm-hmm. I thought it was like, just, so refreshing. Yeah, and she just does a phenomenal job and she, you know, she's so smart as an actor and as a it, it's just this felt more like an honest portrayal of like who she is and what she could do than um than what, you know, her legacy has has left behind. No, yeah, for sure. I definitely agree. Like everyone thinks about Lucille Ball and thinks about I Love Lucy. It is such an iconic character, but it is like really I thought nice and refreshing to see her in like a different role that was not like was not I Love Lucy. Um, and at the same token, too, you're right. Like I thought she was like a great, great like her performance was great. She did like a phenomenal job of playing this kind of like street smart. I've got this blah blah boom and I know it kind of character. But then also at the same token, when she was doing the little, like, burlesque numbers and stuff, like, I could still see totally her, like, prop comedy kind of, like, bona fides coming through with, like, all the stuff blowing, like, the wind blowing, and, like, she just has such good timing. Even just in, like, those little bits, I was like, god damn it, she's good. No, for <laughs> no, sure. No, yeah. Um, 
Well, that's honestly all that we have for y'all today. Um, I have all of Mad's uh, Instagram and Twitter handles linked down below. I also have um, two of her, her pieces that she's written. Um, one is a, a sort of more of a, uh, of a piece of fiction, um, taking an accurate sexual history. Um, and then we also have uh, the women on the screen uh, and the woman in the mirror linked down below. Um, if you want to know more about Lucille Ball, you can go and check out uh, the episode that we did on being the Ricardos. We have some history on Lucille Ball in that one. Yes. Um, and uh, also be sure to check out last week's episode. Um, and if you are interested, I mentioned uh, Carolyn Bow uh, briefly. And if you're interested in, in more about another Carolyn Bow movie, a few weeks ago, a month ago, we did uh, Wings. Um, and, and that's another good episode to check out as well. Um, but that's just about all that we have for the for the show. Mad, do you have any final thoughts for the for the listeners? Um, sorry, everyone had to hear me do like some monologuing there for a while. Um, no, but I um I thought both of these were like very interesting. Um, I, I I thought you know from like a historical perspective they were both fascinating even again if I didn't agree with like all of the content um, and I thought it was like fun to kind of see like two women who did so many interesting you know things within their careers um, at two very different points in time and just like how quickly too like filmmaking itself evolved and um, again some of the like very different ideas about women presented in both of those films and that, that's all i got <laughs> very well said um dear okay. do you have anything that's my summary um i i i mean i don't know man um <laughs> if, you, if you don't have anything that's fine um uh my what i'll leave the listeners with is 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 this um go watch something from someone or in a from somewhere that that is foreign to you you know it'll it'll be an interesting insight to 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 a different perspective than your own and you know who doesn't like a well-rounded person no that's yeah. very fair and if you want some suggestions on on where to start or you know some opinions on what we thought about some stuff we also did a whole uh, series of episodes in November where we did foreign uh, or, or non-American films, including Japan, Egypt, um, India. Um, so if you want, you can go and check those out for some suggestions. Um, I don't really have anything else to add or, or say to the listeners. Be sure to come and check out the show next week. Uh, yeah, we're doing... Yeah, we're doing Women in Horror to close out March because, I don't know, I love, I love the horror genre. I think that it's a great platform for women and for women storytellers. And I think that it's always been a place for very progressive and interesting ideas to be put on screen. And so when we decided to do our, our Women in History Month, I knew that, that horror had to be a part of that. 
uh, or Women in Film Month. I knew that horror had to be a part of that. So make sure to come back next week because we have returning to the show Dr. Allison Pierce, uh, who was on almost a year ago now, or like a year ago now, for um, the release of her book, Women in Horror. We did Pet Cemetery by Mary Lambert. So definitely be sure to come back next week. And uh, stay safe out there. It's a... To to quote Cat Stevens, ooh baby, it's a wild world. Uh, so stay safe out there. Have a good night. And we'll talk to y'all next week. Bye! Bye.